0: This is the meat of the podcast. Like, have you ever, have you ever caught your, have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like a yeah. Thing. Yeah. This is gonna be sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, yo, this shit feels like I won't ever make it Oh. You're listening to She's in Russia. I'm Smith and I live in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm Lily and I live in St. Petersburg, Russia. On this episode, we're talking about Pussy Riot. We're kind of trying to answer a few concrete questions about them namely, who are they? What have they done? What is their political purpose? And ultimately, are they cool or not? Because that's something that's always been playing at the back of my mind. Like when I would hear reports about them, I just wasn't sure if they were for real or not.
1: I'm going to be a little on- a bit honest,
0: which you already know, but I'm going to be
1: honest to our listeners, that like I feel conflicted about devoting an episode to Pussy Riot because it's kind of like reinforcing this sense that they are important enough for us for us – to make an episode about in some sense i want to say like they're old news and we'll sort of get to that at the end because literally like years have passed but they actually the phenomenon i think it's important to break down because i think as we'll find out there's a lot more going on there than it may seem like at first glance so that's why we're digging
0: them up out of the past (laughs) resurrected i think that they do still have some form of relevancy I kind of honestly, we can get into this later. I sort of feel like a lot of the dismissal of them is sexist. Pull in that card. Sure, maybe, but that's
1: not like what my dismissal is based in. It's more like temporalist or something.
0: So Pussy Riot often I think is construed as like a punk band. In some sense they are that, but I think a more accurate description of them is sort of like a political performance art collective. So the members aren't like stagnant the group fluctuates usually ranging between like three and like around seven members and and not all of them play instruments though like sort of having like a punk aesthetic and punk lyrics are part of the performances they do do they don't like have studio albums and they don't like perform shows where people pay money to go like mosh
1: I've heard up to 11 members, but yeah, totally. The, and they're, most of them are anonymous. Right, yeah. Their signature outfit has a balaclava. Any, it's like sort of anyone can become a member by, putting, by wearing those clothes.
0: Which is, I think that's a cool thing. I think also the aesthetic is very cool. Like I'm sure a lot of people have seen pictures of them, but they're sort of marked by these like bright block colors. So they'll wear like a dress that's one color that's a bright color, and then they'll wear tights that's a different other bright color, and then they wear these bright balaclavas. So it's, like, simultaneously very feminine, and then also, like, drawing on, like, sort of, like, anarchists' imagery. I don't know. Aesthetic, punk aesthetic.
1: They chose, yeah, like, really bright colors on purpose, especially with with the hats to not look like they were about to rob a bank. It just occurred to me that, like, I wish that everyone at the Women's March... This January I was wearing ballclavas and not pussy hats.
0: Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it would be so much cooler. Just think about the like increased cool level. Damn. It. it would be increased cool level, and I think that their outfits contribute to like more conceptualizing them as a as a performance art group rather than a punk band because so much of their stuff is about like making a good visual experience that will be. Viral online, and so like a lot of the images of them are really beautiful. Like they'll have, you know, what they call protests in like the snow, and it's like really snowy, and in like Red Square, and then it's like, you know, six or seven people in these like really bright outfits and the balaclavas. Can you talk about their forming? I think that's important. The context
1: was, basically, between two thousand eleven and two thousand thirteen, there were a bunch of protests across Russia. And the overall slogan of all the protests was for for fair elections,
0: basically. This was in response to essentially like Medvedev passing power back to Putin in 2011.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, it's, he announced that he like wanted Putin to be president or something. So Putin had previously served two terms. Then he had served a term as a prime minister while Medvedev was president. And Medvedev had been prime minister before that. Medvedev announces that he wants Putin to run for president for what will be a third term. We've, like, maybe mentioned that before on on the podcast. That actually isn't illegal, like, Putin running for a third term, and he didn't actually do anything illegal to, like, make that happen. It's just kind of symbolically rough in the sense that, like... It's just like, you give power to me, and I
0: pass it back to you.
1: It's not so much about Medvedev, like, passing. It's that it was widely accepted that the elections that were then held were not legitimate. So between 2011-2013, there are all these protests, and Pussy Riot was formed, I guess, the day that Medvedev made that announcement in 2011. Yeah, in 2011, in the winter. So then, I think November. So then, like, between November 2011 and February 2012, Pussy Riot is, like, perform, like, does a couple of these sort of, like, yeah, performance art pieces, these, like, spectacles, like Smith was saying, very oriented, so that, like, visually oriented, um, made
0: sort of to be recorded on video. So, ex- so examples of, of these, like, the two that I'm thinking of, the first is that following some protests in 2011 after Medvedev makes this announcement, they go on the roof of, like, the, the jail, basically, where a lot of protesters were being held, and they perform a punk song that the, the protesters can see, and it, like, obviously really scares the guards and stuff, and they're unsure of how to deal with it. They're on the roof of this building. And then the second one was following these series of protests – I mean, the general protests by the Russian public. Pussy Riot does another performance slash protest. They call them protests, I think, in Red Square, where they sing this song that translates to, like, roughly to, like, Putin pissed himself, which is like they're trying to talk about Putin as being, like, actually scared to his core by this, like, series of protests that's been happening across Mm -hmm. Russia. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and so, like, I think that context is really important because. Because so many people, there were mass protests happening, there were mass arrests happening, like, in, like, at the protests, Pussy Riot kind of, like, in order to stand out, had to do very, had to think of ways to be, like, visible, and, and, like, extra, it's not, it wasn't enough to just, like, come out on the street, like, that's sort of, I think, where these, like, escalating ideas of disruption came from, like going on rooftops or whatever, eventually leading up to what I believe was the fourth big protest performance of theirs, which was what got them arrested.
0: because the
1: February twenty first, twenty twelve, Pussy Riot, like at this point, still very much anonymous and underground does a performance piece in the Cathedral of Christ the Savior, which is, like, the main Orthodox, Russian Orthodox church, cathedral in Moscow. They did this performance piece not during a service. So it's there weren't a lot of people there. It was, like, just kind of, like, whatever, random people praying. But it wasn't, like, a packed church. That's important. They barely had time to do anything, but they sort of run up to the altar, which the altar is a place where, A, women can't really be because only the priest should be there and B, like, if you're a woman, just generally in the church, you should be, you know, appropriately dressed and they run onto that altar wearing their brightly colored dresses with their bare arms. That's the only thing that was bare actually was their arms, but <laughs> yeah, it's
0: not like, they're not like scantily clad. They're
1: not scantily clad at all, but that comes up in the trial later that their arms are bare covered in their, and they have their bal- balaclavas on, and you know, like, one of them pulls out a guitar, and they sort of, they start to, they start to perform, they start to sing that the song that they prepared for this performance, but they barely get to do anything before the security guards start pulling them away, and it's sort of a surreal, like, you see the video from that, there's video that is, like, n- not edited, because they also then later edited a video, or they added an audio, but in sort of the like the video that's not edited it's like kind of quiet and echoey which is strange because like the church is just really a big space and they like can't really like i don't know did they not have amps or something i mean
0: it's just like yeah i mean i think one thing to like note is that so there's about four of them up on the altar at this point and one of the people who ultimately ends up getting arrested is trying to get her guitar on but she's swept off before she can get it on so presumably that would have made more noise right the title of the piece is Punk Prayer. And so I think like two or maybe three of the people are actually like bowing down and then like standing up and crossing themselves and like doing those sort of religious rituals. And the song that they're singing is directed towards the Virgin Mary and like basically asking her to both become a feminist and to protect Russia from Putin. hmm.
1: Yeah, so it's like explicit. There is explicit anti-Putin lyrics, but again, like it's sort of unclear how much how much they get to actually like sing, like
0: how many words they actually get to say. Not that many, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean it lasts like maybe thirty seconds, maybe forty five. Yeah, and and I agree with you that like the quietness is like, I think it really drives home the point that they're not a band; they're a performance art group. It has that sort of like awkward this isn't actually that good to watch thing going on
1: yeah they're like kicking like kicking and dancing and doing the movements that they'd rehearsed for this piece like yeah maybe a, a bit of I know that they had rehearsed the like the praying ritual ritualized bowing and, and crossing themselves but yeah sort of the the irony is it's, it's like pretty underwhelming so it's just, it's, not, it's underwhelming in, in, a, like, in a sort of aesthetic sense, but it's obviously extremely overwhelming in the sense of like this disruption of what's no, what normally takes place. Like, no one was expecting that, and people are in shock, and they don't know what to do, and the security guards are being security guards and scaring everyone. I'm pretty sure, like, after that performance, they knew, like, they weren't immediately arrested, and it was, like, unclear how bad it was going to be, just... So sort of like it was unclear how, how much of a reaction the government and the church would, would actually have to that. Do you want me to talk about the church now? Yeah. So um, the Cathedral of Christ the Savior is a really, really interesting building. Uh, it, it's like it was originally built after the War of 1812. I mean, at the time it was so it was redesigned under Nicholas I and it was consecrated in 1883. So it's just functioning as as a cathedral, as like a central cathedral, until the revolution, um, the start of the Soviet Union, and then basically, after the Soviet Union begins, it's decided that the church, the cathedral, will be demolished, and they there are plans to build like a really huge what's called palace of Soviets with like a statue of Lenin at the top. This like really epic structure. That's like, you know, symbolic replacement of the church. Those plans fall through because world war two starts. I mean, world war one starts rather. Sorry. The church itself, like in, in keeping with the ideology of the Soviet union, which is atheist, the church is dying, like destroyed, dynamited, destroyed, destroyed <laughs> on, on December 5th, 1931. Instead of building this like grandiose palace of the Soviets, They build a huge open air swimming pool on that site, like a massive pool, which apparently like was very like hygienically questionable and just like sort of, I don't know, not the most pleasant places. Yeah, I don't know, a lot of symbolism there. Throughout the Soviet Union, it is a pool. It's a huge pool. Then in the 1990s, obviously after the fall of the Soviet Union, it is rebuilt, like entirely rebuilt to its original cathedral. I think it like looks, looks the same as the original design.
0: I'm pretty sure. It definitely has, like, a vaguely 90s aesthetic in it, I feel.
1: Yeah, and I think, yeah, no, I think there's, like, like, a little good, gaudy. It's pretty tacky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's so that's what's going on here. It's, like, it's not only a church. It kind of, like, represents this resurgence of orthodoxy and the deeply intertwined nature of the church and the new Russian state, so, like, the post-Soviet Russian state.
0: You're, like, kind of alluding to this, but I, like, want to make it clear, like, not only the resurgence of Russian orthodoxy, but, like, the resurgence of Russian orthodoxy as a response to, like, the historical suppression of Russian orthodoxy. So being, like, you know, this part of our Russian culture was stripped from us, and now that the Soviet Union has fallen, we are getting to, like, rebuild and glory in it, and this church is is a symbol of that.
1: Yeah, because during the earlier Soviet Union... There was, like, a very extensive, what's called, like, de-churching in Russia, which basically just means destruction of the physical places of worship of the church. A lot of people continued to either, like, actually practice, and, and that, was a, that was a risk that they took in a sort of underground way, or, I don't know, kind of, like, meld their believing selves with the ideology of the Soviet Union, which then was, like, unmelded at some point. I think that that should be a separate topic because it's really complicated. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, we'll definitely talk about the church and, like, religion in the future because it just seems to me, like, not only was there, like, a lot of economic and political trauma, but there was probably a lot of, like, spiritual trauma, both at, like, the beginning of the Soviet Union and at the end.
1: Yeah, and, like, in Oliver Stone's Putin interviews, which we discuss on episode 4 Stone asked Putin directly about about the Orthodox Church, about like what happened during the Soviet Union, and Putin kind of gives this like canned answer, um, which is like, "Well, people believed in God, and then they were told to believe in a different ideology, which just replaced it. And but really, they always believed." So he sort of like gives this argument in in a really clean way that doesn't like really correspond with reality. And and yeah, and Stone is like, okay, cool. So but yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna do that on a separate episode because it's a huge topic. February 21st performance in total three of them. three of them are arrested and their names are Nadezhda Talakonekova Maria Alyokhina and Yekaterina Samutsevich
0: and the western media often refers to them by their like what are what's the official word for that in russian nickname or what's how do you say that
1: i honest, i don't know like i don't know it's just like they're nickname, but it's like the established nickname. Yeah.
0: Explain. Can you explain that phenomenon?
1: Sure. Like every name has a standardized shortened version of it. Kind of like how in English, like Alex is a short version of Alexander or Alexandra. So for these three women, Nadezhda is Nadia, Maria is Masha, and Yekaterina is Katya. And like that, it's not it's not strange to refer to people by that shortened name, like, in, in an informal context.
0: Yeah, I think that Western media uses those names because people know them, know the names, not the people. I think, I
1: think they use, also they use the names because they're just easier.
0: Like, Nadezhda is hard. That, that's what I mean. Like, they're identifiably, like, Russian names that people know already. People yeah. know the name Nadia.
1: So In the sense that they're like a standardized short name, it means that it's not like we're like using some kind of idiosyncratic nickname that like only their mom calls them or something. So these three women, the, like two of them are arrested on March 3rd. Katya is arrested on March 16th. That brings us to their trial.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to note too that like Nadia and Masha are like founders of the group. Nadia previously was part of a performance art group called... Voina, Vaina, which means war. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Um, and they did like a series of very provocative things that come up in the trial. Namely, they did one piece, if you want to call it that, um, where a group of them went into a like science museum and had sex in the middle of the museum.
1: Yeah, and Nadia was pregnant. Eight months pregnant.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I kind of... So it was in the documentary that... Did you watch the documentary? Yeah. Okay. I didn't like it. I did not like that. The sex piece? Yeah. 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 It felt... I think I particularly disliked it because all the women were just, like, on their hands and knees. And I was like, that looks not good. Oh, is that right? No, I thought some of them were standing. There was one woman who was giving a guy a blowjob.
1: Oh, yeah. Weird. True. They were all, like, from behind. Yeah. Yeah, that obviously, like, that piece comes up a lot because it's very controversial and shocking one piece that vina did that i definitely love um is or maybe it's a reoccurring piece is the like kissing a cop one i mean the the, we saw so in in the in the documentary it shows at different times both nadia and katya participating in that which is basically just running up to female police officers and kissing them but like I mean, no, I don't know, I guess it's not, it's not like amazing or something, but it's just funny to see like their, their their faces and they, and like, I like that it's particularly female, but you sound like you don't like it.
0: Yeah. I don't, I feel like it runs into some, so, okay. To preface this, this comes from a documentary that was made like, I don't know, like a few years ago called Pussy Riot colon punk prayer, which is like basically all about the trial resulting from this performance in the church. And then it has like, you know, background information on each of the women. But the the other one that Lily's describing from Vina, is that how it's pronounced? Mm-hmm. Is yeah, where they run up and like kiss female cops on the lips. Honestly, like I think it runs into some consent consent, like discussion that's still in my brain and not resolved in any way.
1: Yeah, no, no, it's definitely, like, totally disrespectful of those people's personal space yeah. and bodies. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I also, I, I'm not giving, like, a thoughtful analysis. I just liked seeing the reactions on a very basic level.
0: Yeah, I understand that.
2: The women of Pussy Riot spent hours waiting in their glass box for the judge to start reading her verdict. Yekaterina Samitsevich, Maria Alyokhina, Nadezhda Talakonikova chatted together and wondered when they would next see each other and where that would be. Outside, a crowd of supporters gathered. Police showed some tolerance, but they were easily provoked and many were arrested. There were also members of the Russian Orthodox Church. This is why Russia's religious were offended. A 30-second performance in Moscow's main cathedral praying for President Vladimir Putin to go. The judgment took three hours to read, and throughout, there was little doubt it would find them guilty. The judge frequently referred to their behavior as insulting and disrespectful to the Orthodox Church and all of Russia's faithful. She criticized their short skirts and high kicks, and said they were motivated by hatred for religion.
1: This is, I think, when the rest of the world starts to, to hear about this performance, is during the trial, as far as I know right? Yeah, I
0: mean it probably, yeah, I I would think so. I think um, sort of some of like the the scenes that were in this documentary we were just referencing are like I think very absurd to maybe like a a western audience. Like when they're first arrested they're brought into this like really tiny room and it's like jam-packed with lawyers, the judge, and like a bunch of media and it's Nadia first and she's led into this like small little cage it's a cage on one wall of the room that's like four feet by four feet and the bars of the cage are like these twirled gold color so it's just like pretty absurd and like the press is like taking her picture and like asking her a bunch of questions and her like family is there trying to talk to her and I think it's either at that point or maybe when the trial actually begins in the in the late summer that she starts referring to it as show trial yeah like a show trial yeah
1: one of the main reasons that the trial gets a lot of attention is that it's just, it is absurd, and it so, the punishment and the whole process just so, it seemed to so not fit the crime, basically, plus, like, the actual accusation is, I mean, it's like, very questionable.
0: Do you want to actually describe what the charges are against them?
1: So the verdict is they violate Article 213.2 of the Russian Criminal Code, which is hooliganism <laughs> motivated by religious hatred. That's an important, like, motivated by religious hatred is an important addition, because sometimes even in articles I saw while researching them, I saw it was, like, for hooliganism, which um, is, like, disrupting public order disrupt disrupting society or something but it's this additional bi-religious hatred that makes it a hate crime
0: okay so like we described when when Nadia is arrested and I presume that the scene was similar for Katya and Masha but the actual setup of the trial is also in a small room Nadia, Katya, and Masha are in, like, a bigger version of that original cage with these, like, nice, like, twirly gold bars. So they're sitting on a bench together, the three of them in a row in their own clothes. And then right in front of the cage are their def- their defense lawyers. And I think they have, like, three of them. though The, like, team fluctuates throughout the trial. And then, like, a few feet in front of the defense lawyers, facing the defense lawyers, are the prosecution. And the prosecution, it's unclear like kind of what you're referencing, if they're prosecuting on behalf of the state or if they're prosecuting behalf on individual clients that claimed basically to be offended by the performance in the church. And it's like a lot of older Russian Orthodox people who claim to have to like go on blood pressure medication and who were like, just this word offended comes up a lot. And in, in this documentary, they interview very briefly one of the prosecution lawyers. And that's like kind of the, the stance she takes. In the beginning, they read out the charges. And then they basically have each of the women like say like, yes, I understand. And Masha is basically just like, no, I don't understand, and, like, refuses to admit she understands on the basis that the charges themselves are, like, absurd and don't make sense in the context. And they rarely get to speak on behalf of themselves. Like, they're not able to speak on behalf of themselves before the prosecution brings witnesses in. Yeah, and, like... Is there is there anything... Are there any other details about that, like, you want to add? I mean, I don't know. I kind of just wanted to, like,
1: emphasize the the prosecution's witnesses I mean there's like these six people who apparently were in the church at the time of this performance and yeah like it's just it's that in itself is absurd kind of or maybe maybe not but basically their position it's really important because they're the fact that they're there to witness is what holds up the entire accusation that this was a hate crime that there are victims So when you say witnesses, it's really like victims. Maybe that's unfair of me to say that, like, question how upsetting that was for these people. But I'm just saying that that's like a really key part of the argument, basically.
0: Yeah, and I think also that this sparked a lot of anger within the Russian Orthodox community, as like you would expect, where like they shifted from being sort of... I guess just like apolitical people to like more political people in that they are voicing their opinion in public space. And I think the extreme of that is in this documentary, they're just showing these like very uber Russian Orthodox people who the equivalent in my mind are like, in terms of like aesthetic, reminded me of like, like super conservative biker types. No, it's like Hells Angels.
1: Okay, so here's the thing the so you're talking about the cross bears, which is like they're these orthodox activists like pro russian orthodox activists which are these like old guys in with like white beards wearing kind of like gothy bikery outfits and like they wear t-shirts that say orthodoxy or dot or death <laughs> but smith like apparently so i also was like oh my god that looks like hell's angels like they have like a hell's angels aesthetic apparently They literally are a biker gang as well. Okay, that makes sense. That's just like so ridiculous to me though.
0: And they're just like talking about, they specifically talk about Nadia because she has like, she's like the founder. She has like the most visual presence and she's like the most beautiful of the three. And they're just like talking, they like reference her as like a demon. They're like she's a demon. Back in the day, like she would have been killed immediately.
1: Yeah, they re- they call her wit. They called them witches as well. Talk about them yeah. like have, being burned.
0: But that's an that's an I think an extreme example of the like Russian Orthodox response. But- well, yeah,
1: these are these are like extreme people. Those yeah. guys. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there are there are protests held by members of the like a lot of people. A lot of Orthodox people come out and protest. Not just these guys. And during the trial, the women. Like, um, when they're showed on, like, t- TV, like, talk shows, like, when the trial is discussed on, like, a one of the state-run talk shows. In Russia. In Russia. They are, like, also, everyone's discussing, sitting around discussing how, like, they were, like, possessed or they're demonic
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, like, how evil they are. And then they show, like, images of the three women. And li- the images have been, like, edited so that they look kind of like they're, like, st- I don't know, screaming or distorted or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's very frightening. So yeah, that was a, that's a, like an important um, sort of piece of manipulation that's also happening on the other side. It's just something to note is that like both, or potentially a lot of members of Pussyhide, I don't know, but definitely Nadia and I think, and definitely Masha studied art history. Nadia also studied philosophy and there's, so there's that and then there's also, she was like, purposely kind of taking on this role of like a of the soviet dissidents of the past she was like um yeah yeah and and like the the fact that she was calling she was directly hearkening back to
0: um show trials of the 30s just i really quick want to summarize this era that Nadia is referencing of these show trials. So from between the years 36 to 38, there were a lot of what they called show trials, which was basically indicting millions of people, did you say? No, I don't think
1: that there were a lot of show trials. There were a few show trials and there were a lot of arrests.
0: Okay, there were a lot of arrests, a few show trials of like higher-up Communist Party members who were accused of being Trotskyites. And essentially they were put on trial forced to make a confession and then sign like a confession that had been pre-prepared for them. Um, And the show part of a show trial is like a combination of two things, as far as I can tell. It's first that like, there's not actually due process because the intent is to get a confession and then convict a person. And also that it's like this public theater for, as a way of instilling fear in people across the country, because the the implication being like oh you too could be put in this position where you will be convicted and either killed or sent to uh, gulags is that like a fair summary
1: yeah and I and I think like so again like it started with the upper echelons of the communist party this like arresting and accusing people of being enemies and trotskyites but it it eventually expanded down the the ranks like down the hierarchy to regular people and it's just like it's important to note that, like, affected everyone and this sense of terror and fear that you were going to be arrested or someone you knew or loved was going to be arrested or was arrested or take just taken away in the night. Like, that was everywhere. Okay. Very... So the, the show trials were sort of like the theater aspect of it, but on an everyday scale, this is the period of time where people could just disappear at any time. People would
0: rat each other out, for, for, but for actually nothing. And then I think the other, so yeah, you kind of mentioned like Nadia studied philosophy and like art history and that's, I I don't know exactly how to describe them, but they're like intellectual people in a lot of ways. Like their performance is definitely derived from like intellectual beliefs. Um, and, And the other trial that both Nadia and I think Masha reference is Brodsky's trial. And I don't know that much about that, only that he was a poet and... He was. I guess he was probably convicted under like not adhering to.
1: He was. He was convicted. He was like called like a a parasitic element or something. Meaning like he did. He was like he didn't serve any purpose in society. Because he just
0: wanted to. He just just wanted to sucking on the teat of Mother Russia with no contribution. You teat sucker, get out of here. Get, take, get out of here. Yeah, so you have these, like, enemy of the
1: state elements in the 30s. That's, like, the most common accusation. But, yeah, parasite was a thing that Devlatov was accused of. Okay. So,
0: so like, artists were, confused, were accused of being parasites.
1: Yeah, right, if they're not, like, conforming to socialist, socialist realism.
0: Yeah, and, and particularly one thing that Nadia points out to compare is that, like, in the same way that... The prosecution in her trial didn't, like, read their lyrics and truly try to consider what they were doing. Neither did the prosecution in the Brodsky trial. Like, they didn't read his poems and try to understand what he was trying to say. That's, like, that's like I think the point here that we're trying to make is just that, like, Nadia is is leaning on this history of protest. Like, she's very much, she very much identifies with these, like, very pivotal moments in history.
1: Yeah, so, like, not, right, so, like, early Soviet and mid-Soviet dissidents, she, like,
0: yeah, she identifies with dissidents,
1: and also, like, when she's in prison, Nadia has a, a a correspondence, an ongoing correspondence with Zizek, did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that, no. Which is just, like, yeah, that was, like, honestly surprising to me, maybe not that surprising, but, um. Did you read any of them, or it doesn't say yeah, anything, it just says that no, they have an ongoing I, I read some of them.
0: Okay. I mean, do you want to, so Nadia wrote, like, a fair amount, I guess, while she was, while she was in prison, like, kind of detailing the conditions, and apparently this correspondence with Zizek. Do you want to talk about those things now? Oh, yeah, I guess we can, we can talk about the conclusion of the trial, which is that they make these closing statements, and mm-hmm. I, so I read the full transcripts, in plus one, published, like, the full transcripts which weren't in the documentary they like cut out like really important stuff which i feel irritated about
1: of the, of the final speech
0: yes yeah
1: yeah because apparently their closing statements are really
0: amazing yeah yes they are and in the movie they're like kind of bland because mm-hmm. they just like they like cut out all the meat of it but so katya goes first and basically her closing statement is like this really kind of detailed analysis did you read these
1: i did not read them no
0: Okay. So her her closing statement is like kind of this detailed analysis about how the Russian Orthodox Church has been used in its like resurgence as a tool of the state and that you that the state is simply using like religious symbols to propagate their own like oppression of the people. Okay, wait, I kind of just want to read some of this because it's, I think it's good. Is this Katya? Yeah, this is Katya. The defendant is expected to repent, express regret for her deeds, or enumerate attenuating circumstances. In my case, as in the case of my colleagues in the group, this is completely unnecessary. Instead, I want to voice some thoughts about what has happened to us. That Christ the Savior Cathedral had become a significant symbol in the political strategy of the authorities was clear to many thinking people when Vladimir Putin's former KGB colleague Kirill Gundayev took over as leader of the Russian Orthodox Church. After this happened, Christ the Savior Cathedral began to be openly used as a flashy backdrop for the politics of the security forces, which are the main source of political power in Russia. Why did Putin feel the need to exploit the orthodox religion and its aesthetic? After all, he could have employed his own far more secular tools of power. For example, the state-controlled corporations, or his menacing police system, or his obedient judicial system. It may be that the harsh, failed policies of Putin's government, the incident with the submarine Kursk, the bombings of civilians in broad daylight, and other unpleasant moments in his political career forced him to ponder the fact that it was high time to resign, that, otherwise, the citizens of Russia would help him to do this. Apparently, it was then that he felt the need for more persuasive, transcendent guarantees of his long tenure at the pinnacle of power." It was then that it became necessary to make use of the aesthetic of the Orthodox religion, which is historically associated with the heyday of imperial Russia, where power came not from earthly manifestations such as democratic elections and civil society, but from God himself. How did Putin succeed in this? After all, we still have a secular state, and in any intersection of the religious and political spheres, should be dealt with severely by our vigilant and critically minded society. Right? Here, apparently, the authorities took advantage of a certain deficit of the orthodox aesthetic in Soviet times, when the orthodox religion had an aura of lost history, of something that had been crushed and damaged by the Soviet totalitarian regime, and was thus an opposition culture. Yeah, that's the point I was trying to talk about earlier, like... Russian Orthodox as an opposition culture, I think is interesting. The authorities decided to appropriate this historical effect of loss and present a new political project to restore Russia's lost spiritual values, a project that has little to do with a genuine concern for the preservation of Russian Orthodoxy's history and culture. It was also fairly logical that the Russian Orthodox Church, given its long mystical ties to power, emerged as the project's principal exponent in the media. It was decided that, unlike in the Soviet era, era, when the church opposed above all the brutality of the authorities towards history itself, the Russian Orthodox Church should now conform all pernicious manifestations of contemporary mass culture with its concept of diversity and tolerance." Implementing this thoroughly interesting political project has required considerable quantities of professional lighting and video equipment, airtime on national television for hours-long live broadcasts, and numerous background shots for morally and ethically edifying news stories where the patriarch's well-constructed speeches would in fact be presented, thus helping the faithful make the correct political choice during a difficult time for Putin preceding the election moreover the filming must be continuous the necessary images must be burned into the memory and constantly updated they must create the impression of something natural constant and compulsory our sudden musical appearance in the cathedral of christ the savior with the song mother of god drive putin out violated the integrity of the media image that the authorities had spent such a long time generating and maintaining and revealed its falsity In our performance, we dared, without the Patriarch's blessing, to unite the visual imagery of Orthodox culture with that of protest culture, thus suggesting that Orthodox culture belongs not only to the Russian Orthodox Church, but the the Patriarch and Putin, but that it could also ally itself with civic rebellion and the spirit of protest in Russia. Perhaps the unpleasant, far-reaching effect of our media intrusion into the cathedral was a surprise to the authorities themselves. At first, they tried to present our performance as a prank pulled by heartless, militant, Atheists, this was a serious blunder on their part because then we were already known as anti Putin feminist punk band that carried out its media assaults on the country's major political symbols. In the end, considering all the irreversible political and symbolic losses caused by our innocent creativity, the authorities decide to protect the public from us and our nonconformist thinking. Thus ended our complicated punk adventure in the Cathedral of Christ the Savior. I now have mixed feelings about this trial. On the one hand, we expect a guilty verdict. Compared to the judicial machine, we are nobodies and we have lost. On the other hand, we have won. The whole world now sees that the criminal case against us has been fabricated. The system cannot conceal the repressive nature of this trial. Once again, the world sees Russia differently than the way Putin tries to present it at his daily international meetings. Clearly, none of the steps Putin promised to take towards instituting the rule of law has been taken, and his statement that this court will be objective and hand down a fair verdict is yet another. Other deception of the entire country and the international community. That is all. Thank you. Badass. Yeah. It's really, it's like, so oftentimes Masha and Nadia are like used as the face of Pussy Riot, but I think that because like Katia is just like quieter and like not as good looking, but I just, I don't know. I feel like her closing statement of all of theirs was like by far the most interesting and like really gave very strong reasoning for why they chose to be in the church and then that it wasn't just simply like, oh, we're just trying to be as shocking as possible, but, like, here is the specific reasons why we did this.
1: Right, and we're not trying to say fuck you to orthodoxy. I mean, right. the thing is, like, yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and even even having only seen the fragmented version of the speeches, just overall, I, like, the whole time kind of, I'm like, was like rooting for Kasia. I just really, I feel, yeah, I, I feel like she doesn't get as much attention
0: for the exact reason that you just said. She's also like a little bit awkward. Like the way she spoke was definitely like a little bit awkward and uncomfortable. I'm like kind of assuming that she's gay, but I don't know if that's the case.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know either. But yeah, I mean, Nadia obviously gets a lot of airtime because of that, that face. That face.
0: Um. I mean, Masha, and Masha is also like pretty in like a plain way.
1: But Nadia also gets, like, it's not just, like, how she looks, but she has that sort of,
0: she's, like, has a really
1: super charismatic... Like, cool, bad girl Defiant. Yeah, yeah, she's, like, defiant. really defiant and stubborn and, like, yeah. And
0: beautiful all at the same, same time.
1: time. So did you just read the full Katya speech?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so they all read their closing speeches. Masha's and Nadia's are, like... Masha's is nice because it's... in this, I don't think, come came across in the documentary, but hers is more about, like how she became internally free. Like, it's like she talks about how the Russian state imposes certain things on, like, a growing person's soul. So that's, like, also a cool one, um, but seems, like, less relevant to the case itself. And then Nadia talks about... She just kind of talks almost about, like, what they did and what the reaction to it has been, and just, like, talks a little bit about how there were, like... Um, Russian Orthodox people who were like supportive of her and like Christian in that traditional way of like forgiveness.
1: Well, I just liked how after each woman speaks, after each one gives their closing statement, the court, like the small audience at the court applauses, applauses, (laughs) (laughs) applauses. (laughs) applause, there's applause. And at one point, like one of the I, I don't know who says this because I think they're not on camera in the in the documentary, but I think it's the judge is like, we're not in the theater, people. Yes, yeah. so- <laughs> so <funny. laughs> it's just so perfect. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they're given their verdict. Drumroll. Oh, I'm I'm gonna say it. Okay, their verdict is two years in a penal colony.
0: Yeah, a penal colony just sounds like such a Kafka. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, jaconian, or like, what? Penal colonies still exist? It's like saying, like, a leper colony or something. It's just like, labor I thought... Labor
1: camp? I don't know how else you want to call it. I mean, yeah.
0: yeah, it's a it's a labor camp. I, they do use the word penal colony. I'm just like saying it sounds so weird to hear that in, like, 2012.
1: Yeah, and but then, but then, okay, okay, so, like, they, there's this verdict, but then, um, sort of surprise twist at the end is that Katya, the one whose speech Smith just read, she, like, like, makes this announcement that she's like, actually, I have a, 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 another lawyer, like, a new lawyer that no one's seen who's going to present, (laughs) this woman just comes in, who's going to present a counter-argument? What is that called? Like, this is, she's going to present a counter-argument to the, to the verdict?
0: Yeah, basically, they they get a chance to appeal the verdict in, like, a different day. It's a different day. Yeah. And, and this is, oh, this is one thing I just want to note, is, like, the first day, you know, they look how they look when they're arrested. But, like, I think they come out at three different occasions. And, like, each time Katya's hair is shorter. And by the end, she just has, like, asymmetrical, like, very short on one side, long on the other side haircuts.
1: Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't really notice her hair changing that much. Cute. Um, she introduces new lawyer. Uh, the lawyer makes a quick statement that she's like, actually, Katya didn't even... Have a chance to do anything at the performance in the church that you that you all the judge etc have accused her of doing. So I like she doesn't she's not included basically in this verdict. And then they show a piece of the video where like the where Kate like is trying to put on a guitar, and basically the security guard as Smith mentioned before like takes her off off the altar before she even gets the guitar. And so technically she didn't like commit the crime that um, the other two did.
0: Yeah. And then, like, in the in the movie, there must have been some editing, but it's, like, and then the judge is, like, okay, her sentence yeah. is suspended.
1: Yeah, it, like, seems like no time has passed. Like, this lawyer makes a statement, and then the judge is, like, okay, fine, yeah, you can go. <laughs> and then she just gets to walk out immediately. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I'm sure. Oh, I just wanted to make a little comment from, from the documentary, but, like, how kind of amazing their parents are. At least the way they're shown in this documentary, the parents, of uh, we, we sort of get a chance to meet the father, Nadia's father, Katya's father, and Masha's mother in in series of interviews. Um, and I I just love Katya's father, and like he he kind of like he's like yeah the girls used to come and like rehearse in our apartment, and he he he's a little bit like conservative, like doesn't really approve of everything that they do, but like accepts and is like happy that they're protesting, and then I love at the end how he like after she's arrested, he has this he has this photo of Katya being arrested, and it's just like it's a black and white photo with like police all around her, and he's like i'm I'm gonna like send this to all my friends so that like they can like tell their family and friends that I have a daughter like this or something, and he's really proud of that. Yeah.
0: I know i I at first I didn't like him because I thought that he was condescending but then like he he started to grow on me throughout because even though it's like a parent he doesn't understand why she's doing what she's doing he's he is very supportive of her and then in the end he's really proud of her yeah I love that line like I want them to be able to say like he I have a friend who has a daughter like a college friend who has a daughter like that like yeah that they would also be proud of her I think that's yeah. nice Let's let's talk about what happens in
1: prison. Nadia writes a, an open letter in 2013 from her penal colony constant what, what we call that labor camp in Mordovia, Russia, which is like it's east of Moscow, like the whole country. <laughs> but it's like not that far east is sort of what I want to say, not that far from Moscow. It turns out this like camp that she's in, it's known as like one of the harshest, one of like the worst worst place that in terms of conditions and working conditions and living conditions. Um, it's a, it's a female labor camp and Nadia decides to go on a hunger strike and she announces it in this open letter in September, 2013. Basically she just writes this letter describing like, like really horrific conditions. The women in this camp, they sew police uniforms all day. And basically they're like, systematically deprived of sleep first of all they work like i don't know like between 16 and 18 hour days so they only sleep like let's say like four hours a day and then at any point like she talks about how like as a punishment you can be deprived of like food you can be deprived of your like hygiene rights quote-unquote which means like you you can't shower you can't like do anything you can be de- you can be not allowed to go to the bathroom and the punishment could be for whatever, like f- not f- filling your insane quota that you have for the day for how many uniforms you have to sew. And she talks about how like they're sewing on, like, especially if you're new, you, you you're you using like an old sewing machine. And if you're new, you, you don't, you get like the shittiest one and it's constantly breaking down. And like, though the camp like receives money to fix equipment and to keep equipment up, they don't use it for that. And so she was like, I literally taught myself how to like fix my sewing machine and just like she was like you know your like hands are bleeding because you've just been like sewing all day and and then like something breaks and you have to fix it so that you can fill your quota i mean it's it's just like a fucking hellhole i, I don't really know like th- there's also she gives like really awful detail about like the this the bathroom which like a hun- like hundreds of in- in- inmates use this tiny bathroom and like the pipes will break and they'll just be like shit all over the place i mean it's just like a disgusting horrible place yeah that's fucked up yeah and there's also like people are beat you know like as sort of a regular kind of punishment by guards people live in kind of like fear of having what you know whatever it is like these quote-unquote privileges like getting food and sleep and hygiene um revoked so there's just a sort of constant fear of that plus you're just like tired all the time and overworked i just don't even understand like how she is like able to write or read and she goes on a hunger strike which she's eventually hospitalized for oh oh god one of the like horrible uh, abuses in this colony is that so it's, it's all women they're like anytime they like need to go somewhere basically they are given like forced basically like gynecological examinations the idea being that they could be like hiding something in their vagina. I'm sure that was not a gentle process, basically. And those were like really
0: regular as well. Those like descriptions sort of um, inform what they're doing now, which is like so both Masha and Nadia are released like two months prior to when they're supposed to be released because in the lead up to the Sochi games, Putin just like grants amnesty to a bunch of different people who are in prison as like a way of. Like a PR movie. currying good favor with the international community before the before the games start. And since then, a lot of what Masha and Nadia have been focusing on is improving like the judicial system and prison conditions. Um, and so they started this website that's like a mm-hmm. independent news site that focuses on stories around this sort of thing. And they have just been doing a lot of like, Touring events, so they were at Can. How pronounce Cannes? I think so. Um, and they like did a little panel there, and they've like been in the U.S. a lot, going to like different locations. And I know like Masha is now touring with a Belarusian theater, isn't she? Wrote a book that's supposed to come out soon. I think they're no longer part of Pussy Riot, as announced by Pussy Riot. But they do a lot of stuff that's obviously influenced by their time in prison. Yeah, and
1: I think Masha is also a lawyer, like a lawyer for prisoners. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, they started like what's this? Um, their site is called Media Zone, Media Zona. It's like a yeah, really important source, like news source about abuse and corruption in the prison system, judicial system. It's also just kind of amazing just to go back quickly to Nadia's like, she writes this letter about her hunger strike, which in which she explicitly calls all of that like horrible thing that that horrible experience i just described as slave labor she calls it slave labor which is it is and they 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 like it's really crazy cuz they they make some kind of like tiny salary that's like i i feel like it's like t- it's like some crazy small amount like 20 something rubles or something a month um which is like nothing and like oh okay yeah so in in june 2013 her salary she says her salary was 29 rubles a month but then there's a correction that says fifty-seven, but that doesn't even matter. <laughs> like, but but th- that's oh, somewhere around dollar at the time per month instead of ten. Cents yeah, yeah. No, no. It's more like a dollar, I guess, at the time. Rolling in it. Yeah, or maybe a little bit less. But basically, like, so she calls it slave labor. But at the same time, she is able to like correspond with Zizek about like philosophy and like she she writes very theoretically with him. um between like January oh maybe that's so that's before the hunger strike
0: January to and and are the conversations specifically about like Pussy Riot and her experience or they're just the general like correspondence
1: no they're like Pussy Riot her experience the reaction in the world the reaction in Russia like theory behind it like theoretical basis they just have, like, that the theoretical correspondence, um, a lot of it. But-, but Zizek is, like, in the beginning, he's like, oh, like, I shouldn't, like, be so theoretical because, like, you're, like, living this in this horrible, real, like, physical world right now. And, like, I don't know. He just says something about that, comparing the sort of contrast um, or noting the contrast. And-, and Nadia's like, what's the problem? Like, I... <laughs> Like I can, I can have this conversation with you, and she like questions some, uh, like she questions him on some things, um, and just like very much has a, a a equal conversation with him, which is really amazing. I just, it's like beyond. I just don't. It's beyond me. Is, is it? It's in English. Yeah, it must. I don't. I mean, I read them all in English, but I don't. I think that they were probably corresponding in English unless someone was, like, translating for them. Well, does Žižek speak Russian? Uh, not that I know of. Where is he from? Like, Slovenia? He is from Slovenia, yeah. Good job. Oh, my God, I'm amazing. You are amazing. I'm amazing. <laughs> okay. But, but like, that's just, like, mind-blowing. It's, not, it's, a, it's mind-blowing, for one thing, to have a correspondence with Žižek, but, like... When you're in living in those conditions, you're, like, that, I don't know. that That's
0: very impressive to me. Yeah. Like, I would just go... Like, sh- that means she, like, worked 16 hours and then would go and write. Yeah, and, like, how? Yeah, that seems horrible. Ugh, God, it seems so bad. Oh, one thing that I came across that made me feel a little bit bad in the way that we had talked about the Putin interviews... Um, they respond or Nadia it's kind of funny when like one of them responds they say like pussy right responds to the Putin interviews but then it's just like Nadia talking um yeah but basically she was just like that was fucked up and oh and the thing that made me feel particularly bad about the way we talked about it was because she's like yeah I can understand how like very liberal leftists will want to empathize with Putin because he's like the only formidable international power right now that's like fighting back against American imperialism but she's like he is not a good person and he does very like terrible things to his own people and people in other countries and I was just like yeah yeah, we didn't like
1: yeah we did and I kept saying that and I kept like and and not saying I'm the only one, but I know that like maybe the overall tone of our discussion was pretty like oh he's so charming, but like I we made a point and at the end remember at the end of the episode I'm just like we just need to make this very clear because I didn't want it to seem like that, like that is sort of the 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 big the thing about Oliver Stone's piece.
0: Right, but like I, I think that I feel bad because I overall have a hard time feeling that still so, like I haven't integrated that fact that Putin is actually a very, very bad person and a bad political leader into, like, my feeling about him directly. Okay. I have, like, this, like, whimsical emotional response when we talk about Putin. In that movie. In that movie or in general. Whimsical, I don't know. I mean, like... Or, like, I I don't know what the word for it is, but, like, uh, like, ha, 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 he's funny, like, that sort of thing, where it's just, like... Oh, yeah, 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 appreciating his... I yeah. haven't internalized, like, in, this in like, my response to Trump, who's, like, arguably not nearly as bad as Putin for, like, yes. global happiness, like, when he does funny things, I, like, can't find it funny because I'm just, like, so emotionally repulsed, but I don't have Oh, okay, but, but
1: that's... Yeah, but, okay, now we're just talking about sort of, like um Personality. And because, like, when we laugh, when we, when I've talked about Putin being funny or like witty or something, it- he, like, he actually just is more funny than Trump. So, come on, at a certain level, it's just like right. Trump is just like a repulsive human and he has no appeal. There's just nothing appealing yeah. about him. <laughs> Whereas, like, Putin has something appealing and that is a thing to address. Right. Okay. All right. All
0: right. Let's move on. So let's move on to answering like the ultimate question, which was like kind of the point of this whole episode, which is like, are is Pussy Riot." I also have to pee, so let me ask the question, then we can both go pee. Okay, um, is Pussy Riot cool or not?
1: What's behind the question? Are they cool? Like behind that question is just like, are they cool now? But there's also was their performance, the performance that got them arrested, cool or? Was it passe? Is it considered lame? I mean, is it? do we feel like it's lame? Is that what's behind the
0: question? Or do you mean like... The Western media portrays them as cool because they're like rebelling against the state and American media loves that in this like very particular and like kind of Americanized way or maybe Westernized is fair. But we're just trying to find out like do the youth in Russia think it's cool and like do we think it's cool? And I don't think we should go into too much like justifying but I'll say if I think they're cool or not. Ready? Are you gonna go first? Yeah, I can go first. Fine. I think they're cool.
1: Really? That's it? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, I think that what they did is cool and that they are very intelligent. And I, like, appreciate that. I'm not, um, I'm, like, less into at least what Nadia has been doing more recently. Um, like the music videos. I don't know. Those don't do that
0: much for me. Can you explain what those music videos are?
1: Yeah, like,. Uh, Very recently, um, in response to Trump, Trump's election, and then following that, Nadia, again the like pretty super charismatic leader, one has has basically made a a couple of like a couple of pop music videos is how I would describe them. They, they, so they're pop music videos but they're specifically political. They're explicitly political. Like the one um, specifically the one about Trump was like uh, her the lyrics were about like how he is like shutting down the country from all types of quote unquote outsiders
0: um, and she like lists the specific groups like
1: that that Trump has explicitly offended.
0: Yeah and it, feel, it does feel sort of um... poppy? Yeah, like vanilla or
1: something. Like, yeah, it's like when something that was radical becomes mainstream.
0: It's because it's, like, for an American audience, because it's, like, in English. She also did one around Eric Garner's death that was also in English. I think it might have been her first English one. That one felt less vanilla or poppy, whatever we want to call it.
1: I don't think it's because it's an American audience. I think we're looking at the difference between, like, a, a mainstream piece of art that's, like, receiving money and really high, like well-produced and one that isn't. That's, like, underground and cheaply
0: produced. Yeah, that's true. But it does coincide with her, like, international debut.
1: Yeah, like, she wants to... Like, I'm not saying that's a, that's wrong of her to do that. Nobody are you saying about international debut?
0: I'm just trying to, like, note that at, like, the same time that she gets a lot of notoriety and money, it's because she's getting international attention and she's suddenly making art for a non-Russian audience. And so it's it we should be like more lenient with what she produces in that realm because she doesn't have the full context.
1: Mm, I don't really agree with like she doesn't have the full okay, I guess she doesn't have the full context in the sense that she didn't like grow up. Yeah.
0: That's what I mean. I'm not saying like she's not capable of like understanding the political setting or whatever. But I just felt like the Trump video was like pretty basic.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and so, so, but I don't know how, like, light we should be with that, because, like, for example, the, um, other members of Pussy Riot, who remain anonymous, like, they've, they've, they've always been anonymous, have made statements, uh, basically, like, saying that they don't agree with what, uh, at least what, like, Nadia, definitely what is doing, but what Nadia and Masha were we're doing together, which was performing using the name Pussy Riot. They explicitly, these anonymous members also had like explicitly rejected the, the invitation or potential invitation from a number of pop stars basically uh, showed their support. A lot of people like in in the American music industry, when the girls were on trial, and, uh, like Madonna, more than just Madonna. Anyone else? York. Bjork, yeah, like, people, really, really, really famous people, especially in the music industry from the U.S., like, praised them and showed support for them, and I think, like, the reaction was, like, we appreciate, like, your support, Madonna, but, like, we're never gonna perform in a setting that, in, like, a capitalist environment in which like we perform for money basically um and 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 it's not just like capitalist but like that's madonna sort of and all these pop stars are like hyper examples of receiving money for your entertainment talents it's not like they said like we hate you madonna but that there's a tension there between what like some of the anonymous members have said and then like what nadia is now doing by like making these pop videos that have like two million views on youtube um, and presumably receiving money for them. There's, like,
0: s- well, serious... Well, and, and it's it's published under the Pussy Riot account, too.
1: But... Right, which is the problem, I think. It's not the yeah, problem.
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess I just think it's unreasonable to think that somebody who has that much um, international visibility at this point would just continue to do what she was doing before.
1: I don't think that the members of Pussy Riot necessarily want her to not do what she's doing i think that they don't want her to use the name pussy right because i think it represented different
0: values yeah
1: okay maybe so okay it's like she just using the the brand basically okay
0: so we think they're cool but with like qualifications qual- qualifiers are you, who's
1: they so we these three women i think are like admirable people and they've gone through an experience that i at least at least two of them that i you know don't like that it's horrible um and managed to like be super throughout that like s- extremely articulate and dignified and just like it's they they're they've in that sense like they I I appreciate them and admire them and yeah i mean that's like that's sort of i feel like about those particular women but but overall like i i i don't necessarily it's hard for me to say that i think that I don't know, that their performances, like, before they became really famous, before the church... I mean, it's hard to it's hard to imagine without their, like, uber fame, like, what you would have felt
0: seeing that, you know? What I if I didn't know that they were famous?
1: Yeah, like, if, if this whole trial hadn't happened and you had just, in that time, like, in 2012, seen
0: the performances, like, before
1: the church and then the church...
0: Like, maybe I would have just been like, that's kind of lame, and, like, moved along.
1: Yeah, maybe. Or maybe... You would have appreciated it as like, like as a aesthetic piece, like as a piece of art. Yeah. Or maybe as only as a protest. I don't know. When I talked to a couple of my friends about this, basically like, my friend was saying at the time when it happened, again, the context of these, the context was these like huge protests about having fair elections and against electoral fraud. Yeah. Like people were just like people like my friend were like oh that that's cool like when they heard about this performance in the church like yep like that makes sense in this context and that's you know okay but like a couple of things in addition to that like well she personally like basically thought like as a as a piece of art it was like kind of stupid and like she said like everyone all like everyone in her kind of circle agreed that it was like a like a tacky like kind of lame performance but it's just like that's just bad in in, in aesthetically like in terms of artistic merit yeah artistic merit. A, but so that sort of sort of the reaction ended at that for, for her and for a lot of her like for her friends and it made but it made sense in the context but it was like a tacky piece of art but then like when the church reacted as strongly as it did and and then like the church and 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 the government um she was she basically said like the really unfortunate effect of pussy riot is that if anything like there's been like an, a a res- even stronger resurgence of this of of orthodoxy like for example teaching theology at schools mm-hmm. um like even things were like implemented kind of like as as a
0: a backlash backlashes are terrifying in like every context yeah they're always bad yeah like like my my friend was
1: basically like wishes they hadn't fucked with the church because right. she believes that it made things worse and like but this so another element though is then once the trial started like maybe people knew you know about this kind of thing like these 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 these, the, these penal colonies existed or like that the judicial system was that way. Maybe they knew on some level, but this trial, because it was so famous and so publicized and everything, made that, like, explicit for people. So I guess that's also, like, an important effect. Uh, She also said... I don't know, it's hard to sort of describe this, but that, like, this event and then everything that happened, so, like, starting in 2012 and then the repercussions it was like v- very v- much like according to her like viscerally the beginning of a new and worse era mm-hmm.
0: for russia but not caused by them just like m- marked by them
1: yeah and like kind of so this is putin's third term and that just that pointing out that that was like markedly worse than than under medvedev um mm-hmm. And I think, like, Katya's letter kind of, like, speaks to that. Oh, I don't think that we have covered, like, how bad of a reaction Pussy Riot got in Russia, like, overall. Okay. Really bad. Super negative. Talk about it. And, guess so, Masha Gessen, very important Russian-American journalist, she wrote a book about Pussy Riot. One of the critiques of the book is that it doesn't fully cover the extent of the negative reaction to Pussy Riot's performance in the church in Russia. So, like, overall, like, yeah, maybe my friend said it was just like, oh, it's a tacky art performance, but she's the minority. I mean, overall, like, it was extremely offensive to a lot of people. You can imagine anyone with conservative leanings. And then, like, even liberal people and, like, members of the opposition didn't like it because it basically made opposition to Putin seem, like, so radical that it was... It it just pushed people away even more, or made or or made people able to say like, oh yeah, like this is the alternative. These like insane girls who are like trying to destroy the church and Russian and Russia, the heart of Russia or something. Yeah. And then there's a crazy like, not crazy, but a really disgusting reaction, probably that probably across the board of like kind of like the sexist reaction that you mentioned in the beginning of kind of like talking about them as these like silly naughty girls the liberal uh, apparently the um Nemtsov Boris Nemtsov Nemtsov, who was shot um who was an opposition leader he said something about like spanking them or something like highly inappropriate like people just so so it wasn't just like super conservative orthodox people who didn't like this I mean it, it was overall really negatively received I think that's important because even the girls themselves the women themselves speak about that uh, during the trial, about how, like, the thing that they do is is an art form, and it's contemporary art, and that, like, Russians especially don't understand it, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, like, not educated in... Contemporary art, like Katya makes a statement. When she's like, no school teaches contemporary art like properly, except for the school
0: I went to. Yeah, except <laughs> um, so for my school. But yeah,
1: so there's. I mean, that's not to say they're not educated. It's to say that there isn't much of a context for it, which we've kind of mentioned. But it just it it's just an important thing when you have like just to note the contrast between like every member of the West, from you know established politicians to pop culture to normal people. Um, at least in, in the liberal side, like responding super, super positively to Pussy Riot and then like both liberal and conservative, a lot of people responding super negatively for various reasons from it's like naughty girls to it's super offensive to my religion to like my friend being like it's tacky art piece mm-hmm. um, that also had really bad repercussions.
0: This Propaganda Hour, we're not really going to be talking about propaganda. We instead want to talk about this meme that came out as the Putin interviews. Yeah. Um, do, do you want to describe what it is like? Sure. So so there's this
1: scene in Oliver Stone's The Putin Interviews in which Stone is interviewing, they're chatting in the presidential jet, and, like, the shot, like, widens a little bit, and you see that uh, the man who's holding the the boom, like the microphone, mm-hmm is actually Putin's press secretary, Dmitry Pes- Peskov. And, like, I didn't... I mean, he gets a little introduction, like, in the movie. It just says, Dmitry Peskov, like, press secretary. And, like, I didn't really think about it, but there's this meme that appeared because it's just, like, a ridiculous image, kind of, of the, the press secretary, who at one point, for a long time, actually, was, like, is very was very much the public face of the Kremlin. So, like, Russians saw this scene. They see the press secretary, like awkwardly like just on the sidelines holding the microphone and they make a like
0: a series of of memes making fun of him um because he's in this position where he has he has the microphone like arm behind his head and he has both his hands up in this like kind of awkward position he's holding it like behind his back like a
1: like a like, wait, like a dumbbell or something. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't he holding it behind his back? I actually don't even remember because there's so many memes. Yeah, it's behind, it's behind his back, yeah. Yeah, and like, oh my god. The lovely independent journal Medusa put together a selection of some of the best of the memes that came out. After the, movie, after the movie was aired. Do you want to talk about one of them, or how?
0: I'll talk about the most absurd one, and then we post the article on Twitter. What's the most absurd one, according to you? I think the most absurd, so to me the most absurd one is, what's his name, Dmitry Petrov? Peskov. Peskov. He's standing, and then somebody has like... I don't know, like turned him into an eagle in some way where he has like these massive wings behind him and then Putin is like riding his shoulders and it's the picture of Putin from when he was on a horse. I don't know. I think that's probably the most absurd one or the one most worth describing. There are other ones that take from like American pop culture. There's a scene from Clockwork Orange where he's been like, he supplants one of the um, like gang members. There's one of him as Luke Skywalker. That's that's
1: kind of my favorite, Luke Skywalker.
0: <laughs> but we'll we'll post this article on Twitter and probably post some of the images to our Instagram so people will be able to see it.
1: It's just like I feel like it's a good example of like some of the awkward staging that was going on during the mm-hmm. Oliver Stone interviews. Yeah. Just like like what is he doing? <laughs> Why is he doing that?
0: Yeah, it's I can kind of picture just Oliver Stone doing his like macho directing man thing. He's like, you can you hold the boom, please. Like, we're right, on the like, jet, so we don't have a and, lot of people, so you need to hold the boom. Right, and now that I
1: realize it, like, press secretary, now that I, now I get, like, that's the person he keeps saying Dimitri to.
0: Oh! Thanks, Dimitri, for holding the mic. <laughs> it's like, but it's like, I mean, press secretary is, yeah, it's just, oh, yeah, God. That's am like, sure, I'm sure,
1: Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't respecting him, and he was just, like, yeah, like, bossing people around. He's like, I'm just focusing on Putin right now. I also, like, the one with Medvedev in the hot tub. But thank you, Russian Internet, for that. Just a little shout-out.
0: Do you have a body update?
1: I have a body update. I don't know. I still, I don't, I, don't, I don't, uh, I don't know, for some reason, like, I felt kind of depressed researching Pussy Riot. I think you can tell that I was, like, not super enthused. Um, I don't know why, though. It, I, it doesn't...
0: Because, because, like, you would hope, like, a radical feminist group would be cooler than they are?
1: No, I didn't have hopes for them being cooler. I don't know, like, like, I had no idea how intelligent they were as individual people, the three, the three of them. Yeah. Um that just that was new to me. I didn't realize that. And like I also didn't realize like some the situation that they were like no longer really recognized from the anonymous people according to the anonymous members. But no, I mean, I don't know. Like maybe it's just like the the just horrible shittiness of their situation. We didn't really talk about like a less likable or remember in the beginning when we decided to do this topic, I was saying like It's sort of weird how Pussy Riot just randomly will get quoted all the time in Western media. Not all the time. Say Nadia is like the spokesperson at this point for for Pussy Riot in the West. Like she can just make a statement and a magazine can do an article that's like, Pussy Riot said this about Trump or like how to live under Trump or advice under totalitarian rules or whatever. And it like these weird like BuzzFeed article style titles yeah that just like makes me i don't know i i I just didn't really like especially knowing that that the rest of pussy riot sort of has distanced themselves from from the more public figures, but yet the public figures like Nadia continue to use the brand and everything that it represents and all the history that it represents and the context, but that also like like yes she she did these pieces and she's suffered a lot. And she she did these specific performance pieces in, in in Moscow, but like, why does that give her like right to, be, I don't know, like voted all the time and have like have a like have a really like, do you know what I mean? Loud opinion about everything.
0: I mean, I, I she, you also have to recognize like she's riding a wave, right? Like she's not necessarily the creator of the wave. Like she got a lot of international media attention out of this trial. And now she is capitalizing on it in a way that it's possible that she's not the one that's, like, asking to be called Pussy Riot, you know? But, like, nobody knows who she is as an individual. And so people use Pussy Riot as an alias for her. But it's possible that if she manages to grow her individual brand or whatever, like, that will slowly fade.
1: Okay, here's what's confusing to me. I see her, like, philosophical theoretical writing from her time in prison from the trial her like speeches etc and then like that seems to me to really contrast with some of the statements she's made more recently which Mm -hmm. i feel like are much more puffy do you not agree yeah i i see you're saying
0: I, i don't know what the word is for describing that like Genre of Buzzfeed article that is like five words to know under totalitarianism. It's like this weird Disney fat fine of protest culture.
1: Yeah, like cap capitalizing on protest culture because BuzzFeed's article. BuzzFeed's Budfeeds' articles. The reason that like you just like, said Buzzfeed again. <laughs> oh my god, Buzzfeed! Jesus Christ! Buzzfeed's titles are written that way. Specifically so that people will click on them. And, you know, it's like, it's like explicitly like a monetization tactic. And yeah, that, like, that clash between like the medium and the content is really kind of disturbing.
0: Yeah. But plus, I, I honestly feel like her, the
1: the statements that I read from, in those like BuzzFeed-esque articles are not like that are like interesting. I agree.
0: I agree. But I did, I read one um, interview that, She was talking, she referenced the Pepsi ad with Kendall Jenner, Mm. and she was like, Yeah, that was like fucking dumb, or something along those lines. So, like, she is aware of that, like, commodifying of protest culture, but I don't know. It just seems like there's not a lot of, like, actual thorough content from her in recent years, and I'm not sure why that is. Yeah,
1: it's just confusing, though, because I feel like you get the idea from the state her statements in trial and, and her letters from prison that she has the capacity to make much more substantial texts or statements.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That 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 bothers me. And and like maybe I don't know if that was what was depressing or if it's just sort of like the maybe it's just a symbolic kind of like it's symbolically depressing to like for me that like that her art, Nadia specifically, is making those kinds of videos like I described about Trump, those like super yeah. poppy music videos and comparing that to, like, the kind of performance pieces they were doing in Moscow in 2012. Yeah.
0: It's, like... It's following, like, a na- a traditional, like, sell-out narrative.
1: Yeah, it follows a sell narrative, it follows an appropriation narrative, like, capitalist culture appropriating activists, uh, marginalized culture. But then at the same time, when I, like, when I despair about that, I'm like, but wait, okay, this is just Nadia, and it's not really fair to, like say that, like, this is the trajectory of Pussy Riot. She It's what she chose to do, as you said, with, like, the the wave of fame that came up around the trail.
0: And, like, maybe we can, we can rightfully be disappointed about her choice to do that. But I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what her deal is. Like, she has a kid. She just spent two years in a trauma. Like... Maybe it's easier for her to, like, go to nice events where they, like, give her food and pay her a shit ton of money to speak. And she just, like, gives you a line that's, like, easy for you to consume.
1: Yeah, it's like, who are we to judge her, sort of. But, like, yeah, I don't know. The contrast is still quite quite striking. Again, I'm not saying, like, she shouldn't uh, take money or, like, make money. I'm not, like, trying to say that. It's more of just, like, the level of complexity Seems to have been lost. Yeah. In terms of like what what she's saying. <laughs> what is it
0: I just like I always want. I agree with you. I just I'm always trying to find like what is the word to describe that when complexity is lost. It's like a dilution, but that like doesn't convey really what I mean as well. But that problem it just like exists everywhere, you know.
1: Yeah, but doesn't like did you did you read any of Gessen's book?
0: No, I didn't. But you did you read an article about the book? I read a few paragraphs.
1: She talks about how Pussy Riot uses language and then how they also use the physical body and it's sort of like she almost like makes it a dichotomy but then doesn't really make that very clear. But she talks about how like their, the lyrics of their songs like at the time, 2012, were like yeah. very mono-semantic. Is that a word? Okay. The lyrics of the songs being kind of simplistic or something. Yeah. But that but that but that still doesn't mean so like say the lyrics of the songs then are simplistic and the lyrics of like the Trump pop song, the recent song, is simplistic. I still feel like because of what, what Nadia had like said as a as a person, not during the performances, because of her explanations and her articulateness and like her education, I just felt like there was more behind the other ones.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I agree. I don't think and I don't think necessarily if Pussy Riot's lyrics are monosemantic, that that means that their overall performance is simplistic. Like, again, they're not a band. They're not lyricists. They're performance right. artists.
1: And that's, yeah. I don't think monosemantic is a word.
0: <laughs> well, we just made it one. Okay, so no body update then? Your body update was an emotional update about Pussy Riot? Yeah, that I feel depressed. Yeah, I my <laughs> I That's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. Our theme music Staying is Shit my Happens Day. by Tierra Wack. and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's in Russia, and definitely go check those places because we'll be posting in- more information and links about this episode.